Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. And It's a great pleasure to be here. We've been looking forward to it all week. So the journey, actually, it didn't seem that long. Maybe it was because my wife drove most of the way. And we stopped at exit six for our caffeine. So we're here and ready to go. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful to be here. We meet with you most Sunday mornings when we're around. And I feel a bit like, um, was it the Matrix? That we're actually here and now live, and that's great. And uh, we, we, we try not to miss a Monday night prayer meeting where uh, we meet with others from around the world and you guys here. So praise the Lord. I believe what's happened in the last number of months has really been a blessing Uh, to the church, and it's really stirred us up to do some things new, some things in a different way, and some things in a deeper way, such as praying and waiting on the Lord. The scripture I have for you is at the end of Psalm 31, and we're going to spend a little time and work up to this one, because it's a wonderful scripture. Verse 23 says, O love the Lord, all you his saints, and that's what we've been doing this morning, for the Lord preserves the faithful. And then verse 24, here it is, be of good courage. And he, Jehovah, shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. This is a great statement. And, and, and there's a number of sh- four short sentences I just want to put out there that I think are contained in this psalm, are contained in this great source, a river which this scripture is, all scripture is a river, but they're all in this psalm and they lead up to this promise of the Lord to strengthen us. And if these are days, whichever we need strengthening, it's these are the days. Strengthen us, O Lord, truly in your power, in your Holy Spirit, in your purity, in your righteousness, in your blood, in your flow, in, your, in the brightness of your being. Hallelujah. So here are these four statements. The first is, when trust struggles. When trust struggles. And the second statement, as we've just sung, the cross, the power of God. We're going to see these things in in this psalm. And the third statement is this, which I love. Your times are in his hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Next Sunday is in his hand as we come together. And finally, as we've read, to those who have no strength, he gives strength. And I, I don't believe these are just random thoughts that have come to me over these days, but they are all, as I said, sourced in this great river expressed in Psalm 31. Now, David wrote this psalm, and practically all the commentators and theologians said he wrote this psalm when he was in a bit of trouble. In fact, in great trouble. His beloved son, his name was Absalom, had, had, was staging a coup d'etat, was rebelling against him was actually, some say, he was trying to enter into Jerusalem to take his crown and probably assassinate him and his family. So he was in trouble. And it, it, it's his testimony as he's passing through these troubling waters. I think we've all had about our fair share of trouble maybe in life, but I, I, thankfully I've, I have two sons uh, and, and, and they've never done that to me. In fact, they've done the opposite. But we know there are some things that really come in and affect us. So first of all, when, tr- when your trust 
struggles. And some of you listening may identify with what is described here. Particularly over these last number of months, my trust, my faith, there's a struggle here. There's, a, there's, a, uh, uh, there's an ache. There's, 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 there's stress. Um, because although this is a great song of trust, and if you read in verse 1, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. In verse 14, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. He's a trusting man, even during this time of, of traumatic problems. He's also um, realizing that it ends with a note of hope, as we've read. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. But such were the pressures that the trial seems momentarily to almost overcome the trust he has. So we read in verse Nine, for example, I'm just picking out a few of these things. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. My eyes waste away with grief. It's okay to tell the Lord that. Be real to him. Yes, my soul and my body. We've, we're, we're in daily communication with our dear friends in Vijawada in India, where all around them is devastation. You can multiply by 10 what we're hearing, even on, on the good news network. It's far worse. Over 30 of his friends and pastors in the work have died in the last three weeks from COVID. He showed me the photographs. His own brother was critically ill, but by a miracle of the Lord, they, they got him into a hospital and they, and they got an oxygen. These things are very, very real at times. And, and it's, we have to try out, know what it is to cry out to the Lord in trouble. And then verse 10, my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. This is a man in trouble. Verse 12, I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. 13, I hear the slander of many, including his own son. Fear is on every side, etc., etc. And what is described here is, yes, it's a cry for rescue, but it comes with a confidence in Jehovah for to answer. So I was just thinking this morning, what, what can I glean? What can we glean here from this psalm so that it become a living word? A light to our path, a lamp to our feet, a roadmap, a guide, a compass. What is it in this, Lord, as we pass through such times of trouble and difficulty where faith and trust can sometimes falter a little? Scripture quotes from this psalm a lot. The first three psalms are quoted, repeated in Psalm 71. Prophet Jonah quoted Psalm, uh, verse 6 of this psalm. Jeremiah quoted it over half a dozen times. Paul, the apostle, quotes this last verse in 1 Corinthians 16, I believe. And we could go to these men, but oh, this morning we want to go to the one who is able. We want to look unto Jesus. And what's the connection with him here? He uttered a line from this psalm at that epic moment in history when the blood was poured and mattered. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because I'm struck by the fact as well that Jesus quoted Scripture with his dying breath. You know, that alone tells us something very important about his estimation of the living word of God and our need to store it up and our prone to wander minds and our, our, our prone to forget hearts. And it's verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. And there is the cross. And of course, he left the rest of that verse. He didn't quote that. Arrested. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth, because the very purpose of his life was to be ransomed and to give his life a ransom for many. It wasn't to be ransomed. He's ransomed us. But he quoted that first line. 
So let's just register. That's the first thing that we, that we come to in times of trouble, the great finished work of the cross. It underpins everything. Whether we fully understand, and who fully understands it, or whether you even have grasped, by faith, by trust, when I was 22 years of age, I'd heard about the blood of the Lamb, and I'd heard about all these things, but they didn't mean anything to me until a day I came to Jesus, and then it suddenly came to me. And it's been growing in Revelation over 50 years since, and I still feel, by trust, I'm coming to it. But there's that instinct, that intuition within me, I know, I know this underpins everything. Hallelujah. It forms the basis of verse 24 of his promises. And when your trust struggles, come to the cross. That's our second title phrase, our second little subtitle, subheading, the cross, the power of God. When trouble comes, when, when doubts assail us, when your trust struggles in your difficulties, this is the message we need to hear in our spirit. The message of the cross, Paul says, is foolishness to those who are perishing. And at times you'll be tempted to rationalize other ways out, but you'll come back to this. The blood is still the blood. You still have to trust in that. That eternal, the efficacy of what he did on the cross. Hallelujah. But to us who are being saved, and note the tense, it is the power of God. It's not, it's not, it wasn't Easter back 2,000 years ago, but it, it's the power of God now. The message of the cross is the truth about what happened on the cross of Calvary, but it's, it's eternal significance and effect in our lives. He says, he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Hold on to that thought. No, he didn't just pay the price for our sins on Calvary. That was incredible. But actually, he broke the power and effect of sin on our lives, individually, collectively, of whosoever would come to him. The message of the cross is more than a story. It's the power of God unto salvation today. Today is the day of salvation. I need saving today. And if I don't feel I need it today, for sure I'll know I'll need it tomorrow. <laughs> Hallelujah. In other words, when we believe and receive and embrace the revelation, the revelation of what Jesus did on the cross, I, Ruth and I was talking about this in the car coming down, we receive that anointed impartation that's contained in that message by the Holy Spirit. We, the, the new covenant was inaugurated at Calvary. The way for the Spirit to be poured out on mankind at the day of princes. Pentecost was, was, was initiated at Calvary and a place where now we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Hallelujah. You know, Luke records that the time that Jesus spoke that word um, in the psalm, that there were hundreds of Passover lambs being slain. It was 3 p.m. in the afternoon, 3 p.m. Don't miss the irony here that all those religious leaders, those who rejected Jesus, those who had conspired to have him killed and put out of the way, they were preparing their sacrifice lambs. And all the while being blinded to the fact, like the world is today, that the Son of God was being sacrificed as the true Passover lamb. We're so privileged to have had that revelation. It may not be full yet, We'll have eternity to grasp more of it, but it's becoming more and more clear to us. 
And every lamb that had been sacrificed for hundreds of years up to this point, they were like flashing neon signs pointing to that day, to that lamb, when all those Old Testament shadows were consummated, all those prophecies were fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. The timing is impeccable. It was 3 p.m., it was Passover. He is our Passover lamb, and I know the blood is still the blood. Hallelujah. One line from this psalm changed history. In fact, a number of lines from this psalm changed history, and that's one of them. That's, that's the biggest game changer in history. The cross of Christ. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Everything else that we go through is underpinned by that reality and that fact. You can ask him for more information. He is an informer. He will reveal more to you as you wait upon him. Here's another line that changed history that's connected really with what I've just said there. It's the first verse, third line. Changed history. Deliver me in your righteousness. David was a man before his time. He shouldn't have spoken that under that covenant, but he did. And because he trusted in the Lord, he asked the Lord to act righteously in his behalf, to deliver him. He asked that the righteousness of God work on his behalf. We now take that as a, a bit of a given, and it is because of Christ. Okay? What a great thought, though. Early in the 16th century, here's just a, a little bit of history. There was a German monk. He was a seminary professor. He was in the University of Wittenberg, and he was taking his students verse by verse, through the book of Psalms. His name is Martin Luther. You may have heard of him down here in Cork. I know this man has. Anyway, but this passage, this verse, this one line confused him, and he had to continue on because he was lecturing to his students. But it, it, it confused him because he was under a mode of thought, a set of rules, that he said, how can God's righteousness deliver me the revelation he had that God's righteousness, his great justice, could only condemn him, in Martin Luther's words, to hell as a righteous punishment for his sins and his sinful state. But one night up in the tower in that monastery, as he was going through a certain trauma in his own mind, the Lord led him to read Romans chapter 1, and he came to verse 17, and another line spoke to him, and it said, in it, and he's talking about the gospel, in it, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God is revealed. And Martin Luther had a eureka moment. He began to say there's something here. And over the next coming days, he finally understood what the righteousness of God revealed by the gospel is. And he wasn't speaking about that holy righteousness that condemns the guilty sinner. No, he was speaking of that God kind of righteousness that is imputed to whoever will come to the blood of Christ, to Jesus Christ. And of course, it isn't the cross. It's the one who hung on the cross. And that's hit him like a ton of bricks. The justification of faith. And he later, he said of this experience, and I quote, I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy, he justifies us by faith. Therefore, I felt myself to be reborn. And I felt I could, I went through open doors into paradise. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. 
Now, perhaps for a lot of us listening, this is slightly old hat, but Lord, I never want it to be old hat. <laughs> I want it to be new every morning. And it's amazing where one line of Scripture can bring you. And as you know, if you know anything about history, Martin Luther, he never intended to cause a split in the, in the church. He wanted to reform it, yeah. But, it, but what happened, happened. And history was never the same again. It's an amazing thought. One line of Scripture can change the world. Keep reading it. Keep reading those one lines. They'll change your life and my life. So that's when your trust struggles. That's the cross, the power of God. And I've only scratched the surface. These are steps leading up to that last promise in this psalm. The third one says this. It's verse 14. But as for me, this is David writing, speaking during that moment of crisis. As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, I say, you are my God. And then he, he, he had a eureka moment. He had a revelation. He suddenly realized, my times are not in Absalom's hands. My times are not in how well my generals can protect me, my bodyguards can protect me. Most of them are gone or slain. My times are, my times are in your hand. And we need that. We need that to come to us. You know, what an amazing thought that today my times are in his hand. In Daniel, he says, for wisdom and might are his, but he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. Campbell Morgan um, a great Bible expositor, born about 1850. He died at the end of World War II. He came to Christ 10 years of age under the ministry of D.L. Moody. He was 10. By 15, his conversion spurred him on, and by 15, he was preaching in the local Baptist churches, and he became a great expositor. I have some of his old books. I take them down sometime, and I, I'm refreshed by them. But anyway, he, he, he saw in this psalm the entire sand, he saw it as an allusion to what he called the four seasons of Christian experience. So, and he starts, interesting, in autumn. Verse 1 to 8 is autumn, when the seed goes into the ground and dies. That's where we begin. It's, it's autumn years. And then maybe we go through winter, 9 to 13. We've read a few verses from that. So, and then spring and summer follow. You can read that if you want afterwards. But this verse 15, my time are in his hands, has a sense of spiritual springtime, a note of resurrection. Lord, I realize that my times and season are in your hand. Uh, this um, coronavirus season, it, it isn't primarily in the hands of the governments. It isn't primarily in the hands of the many vaccines. Now, we bless the Lord for all the, 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 the protection we've had and what's available for us to bring us through. But actually, they're in the hands of the Lord. And we don't have to be behest to, are reliant on the whims and predictions of the world. Hallelujah. Now, the Greek of the New Testament uses, this is important. Well, it was to me, and I'm sharing because I've really, it helped me a lot. The Greek words in the New Testament for time, there are two words. Some of you know this. Chronos, where we get chronological, and kairos. So in Acts 1, when Jesus, one of the last words that was recorded that Jesus spoke in the earth, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times, the chronos, 
are the seasons, the kairos, which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. So what is chronos? What is kairos? Chronos is that general period of time. It's a passing season. It's a progression of time. Sometimes it can be frustrating. Sometimes it can feel too long. Kairos is that strategic, specific moment. It's an opportune time. It's, if you like, a eureka moment, if I could put it that way. So when Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, don't grow weary while doing good. Chronos time. Oh, we're to do it again and again. He said, for in due season, kairos, we shall reap if you do not lose heart. So the time for plowing a field up to the time of harvest begins is chronos. The actual harvest begins, that's kairos. The conception of a child is chronos. And as you ladies know who've had children, that those long nine months can be a long chronos time, but kairos is birth. And suddenly, I don't know if it's sudden, it, it happens suddenly for my wife, so suddenly that one of them was born in the back of my car, so suddenly that the matron of one of them, she panicked and we had to, anyway. But it happens suddenly or within a few days or a day or two. That's Kairos. And really what I'm saying is persevere. You'll come to that time of reaping whether it's praying for salvation for someone. Are you still praying for someone, a son, a daughter, a parent, a friend? And you say, I've been praying a long time. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. A breakthrough for revival. You know, when will this, when will this great sweep of secularism, humanism, atheistic philosophy, when will it stop coming over? When will it stop making what's wrong right and what's right wrong? When, when will this stop? Keep praying. Hallelujah. Don't despise the more mundane portion of times. Both elements of time are linked. Though different, they are part of the same process. It's the chronos season that produces the Kairos window. So let's, on Monday night again, we'll pray. We'll pray for sometimes the same things. Maybe with a new fresh angle or something. And keep praying. Because if there's no plowing, if there's no planting, if there's no watering, if there's no weeding, if there's no protecting, there'll be no harvest. It's persevering in the chronos time of frustration. Now, this is all bringing up to that last verse, to be strengthened in the, world, in the Lord. These are steps to be strengthened in the Lord. Keep waiting on them. Keep to allow the Lord to transform and produce in us that kairos moment of growth. You know, there was dear Abraham, our father, really our, one of our fathers in the faith. And there were some promises given to him, I need to wait 24 years, long years, he acted quite well, and most of them, he'd made mistakes in some of them. He went down to Egypt when he shouldn't have gone down. But he, he was faithful, and the Lord was faithful to him. And God's timing shift occurred, and it transformed Kronos to Kairos for him. You know, after refusing to, to, to respond to God properly, the children of Israel, and you know this, they wandered 38, 40 years in the wilderness. Kronos. And there were Caleb and Joshua waiting and waiting because they knew they would, would go in. And then we read in Joshua 1, and God, finally, God speaks to Joshua and said, three days, three days, my son, you're going in. And he said, 40 years, it's over, hallelujah. We read uh, Paul's conversion in Acts 9. And then I think if you analyze some of what he writes and some of the testimony, it's about 12 years he goes off to Arabia. And then in Acts 13, is it, the Holy Spirit speaks by prophecy probably in the, as some of the, the, the men were meeting. 
And it said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the ministry they'd been called. A Kairos time in Paul's life, and he goes forth. Some of us have lived through the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And do you remember that time? I do. I grew up in it. Most of Eastern Europe was oppressed by communists. The Iron Curtain had come down. The Berlin Wall had been built. But the rest of the world looked helplessly on. What can we do? And it seemed that communism was winning. We had men like Richard Wormbrand coming in and, and appearing on the Late Late Show and, and showing the scars on his back when people doubted that the communist authorities had done this to him. And prophets were being raised up to, to tell the church in the West to pray. And in the unseen areas of this Kronos 40, 50 years, thousands of prayers were made up. I can remember us, we, had, we were praying, and I was quite young in the faith, and oh, we were praying for this place, Eastern Europe. And in the meantime, Warsaw Pact, NATO, nuclear missiles, cruise missiles coming into Britain, cruise missiles on the plains of Germany. It, it was up there. It's funny how you forget. But those of, who loved the Lord and were called, they were praying. Thousands of prayer went up. And in the unseen world, the spirit realm, these prayers were having effect. And when it happened in the late eight, 80s, 89, it seemed like a day. I, I think it took some months. But everything just came down. Kairos moment. Watch for it in history, what's happening. When you think this will never change, it can change. And the point of all this, before we move on to our third last phrase here, is hang in there. Someone needs to hear that now. Maybe you're, you're here and you're about to give up. I prayed a long time for this. Nothing seems to be happening. It is. Keep faithful to the Lord. Keep feeding on him, waiting on him. So sorry, this is one final thought. We're just there. And we're coming to this verse 24. He shall strengthen your heart. Or as, I, as I, Isaiah says, those who have no strength, he gives strength. And boy, do we need this. It's recorded in both Peter and Paul's epistles that many times they prayed for the saints to be strengthened. And to his friends in Philippi, Paul said, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. And we read about Paul and Barnabas, their ministry from city to city. It says they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. We need strengthening, especially in time of crisis, of conscious weakness, of failure, of stress. You know, after Jesus prayed to his father in Gethsemane, Lord, I'm willing to go through this, but if there's any other way, Lord, uh, whatever you decree. It says in Luke that an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And then Jesus returns to his three disciples. Do you remember that? And it's seemingly, just in a matter-of-fact way, of course it wasn't a matter-of-fact way, but he just says to them, rise up, let's be going, see my betrayer is at hand. And whatever that angel ministered to him, significant strength was imparted to him as a man to get up and to go on. So we, over time, we learn certain secrets, certain keys. I've dropped a few out here this morning, but there are others are how to, in gather the strengthening of the Lord, that we're enabled to journey on, even though times they can appear to be no answer or even a clear word. You know, I was just thinking some of this strengthening, how, how, is he, how does he strengthen us? One of the things he does, we gain, a, as he strengthens us, we gain a new instinct. 
It's an inborn impulse. That's what an instinct is. And I was thinking that time, we won't go into it, but that time that the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was in, was in Ashad with the Philistines, and there for seven months. And things were happening. They were getting sick. Their, their gods were falling down in pieces. Their idols were falling down in pieces. And they wanted to get rid of it, but they didn't know how to get rid of it, to send it back to the children of Israel. So one of their more uh, enlightened guys says, put it on a cart, get two nursing cows whose instinct is to be with their calves and send it on the road and see what happens. And those cows could hear the baying of their calves, but they kept on. Their instinct has changed. And that's something about the strength of the, our instinct, our habits. Oh, I always just did that. Oh, I always fell into sin. Oh, no, he, as you strengthen, your instinct has changed. And the song goes, strength will rise as we wait on him. The strengthening of the Lord encourages our mind just to recall his goodness, and it combats us being at the mercy of impulsive thinking. And another thing that the strengthening of the Lord will do, it will counter our tendency to complain. Or maybe that's only something we do in Dublin. But anyway, complaining and unbelief, it can, it can affect us. It's like a disease. Uh, it, it, it's a sign that the atmosphere of our hearts is irritated. It's a sign that we've lost the joy. But God's strength causes us to abide in Jesus and him in us. And we actually discover that the disappointments of life can be the hidden appointments of love. Nehemiah said, do not sorrow. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength. It's often quoted out of context. I like what Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said. He spoke about this verse, and he says, it's the consciousness of the threefold joy of the Lord, which is our real strength. And then he admits, he says, our strength, our joy in him can be a fluctuating thing. It can be. But he says, his joy in us knows no change. And he talks about the threefold joy just quickly. It's his joy in ransoming us in saving us. It's his joy of indwelling within us as our Savior and friend. And thirdly, it's his joy of possessing us as his bride and his delight. So this strengthens us. It's his joy. Hallelujah. Now it's difficult to avoid the recurring waves and invasions of worry and even fears, the cares of life. They can come in like a flood, but it's his strength will give us whatever we need at that moment. And he always sends his staff with his rod. Have you noticed that? A way out. He knows what area in our lives needs his strengthening. And he says, as your days, so shall your strength be. You know, the strength of the Lord, finally, as I thought about how he strengthens us, a lot of things just came to my mind. But one of the things is, it causes us to ask the right question. It's important to ask the right question. We read in another Psalm, I think it's Psalm 78, 79, the children of Israel in their stress, they asked the wrong question. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Can you hear the subtle note of cynicism? Can God prepare a table for me in this thing I'm going through? But when we're strengthened of the Lord, we're more inclined to say, God can. There's no strength in unbelief. And we're not to lower our expectations to the level of our experience. Believe in him. He can do new things, beloved. He can bring unheard of things, hidden things, even unlooked for things. This week even, it could be Kairos moments for some of you listening today. 
Isaiah said, when you, God, did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down, the mountain shook and your presence, at your presence. The wonder doing God is our confidence and strength. Hallelujah. So that last verse, wonderful. But when trust struggles, turn to the one who makes a way for us by his opponent, by, by his atonement. The blood is still the blood. And who speaks to us, and he says, listen, your times are in, your, are in my hands, and if you lack strength, you can ask and receive from him. There's a lot more in this psalm as there are in many other psalms and chapters in the Bible. But that's, that, that just encouraged me these past few days. And really, he is our way maker. He is our miracle worker. He is our promise keeper. He is our light in the darkness. And if things are going to plan, my, my dear brother Nathan is going to lead us in this. And before he does so, I just want to say a short prayer to the Lord Jesus. Join with me. If there's any of you out there who are hearing these things for the first time and you have an inclination to open your heart, this is your moment. This is your Kairos moment. This is your great moment. Don't close the door. Open up to him now by faith. Is that all I have to do? Yes, just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm hopeless without you. I've done wrong. I want to turn. I want to come to you. Whatever words come to you and ask him in. Ask him in. Ask his Holy Spirit, if, you're, if you feel, I knew him once, but I'm dead, and uh, I've lost it, come. You're never lost. He comes out and he searches you. And maybe this simple word today has come as a word of rescue, a word of reminder to you. Come to him now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this written word. We thank you. You make it alive. You make it your living word by your Holy Spirit. Lord, and we pray that even through the inadequate voices of men, your fully adequate voice of the Spirit will come and convince us of things that we need to do, things that we need to know, things we need to get a grip of, things we need to sort out under and in your presence of grace and release and joy. And Lord, for any Lord who are going through deep moments, even today, moments of crises, you can shine a light in the darkness, Lord. Hallelujah. We believe there is power in the message of your cross. We believe that it is relevant today in each and individual situation. And even if 8.3 billion people all turn together to you at this one time, there would be more than enough for every one of us. You're a great God, and we worship you today. And we thank you. You are our way maker. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless. Thank you.